Welcome to Storehouse Dallas. Good morning. How's everybody doing? So my message today is titled, I Will Not Be Offended. Sounds like it should be a song. Okay, Misty Edwards. Um, you know, John is so wise, and um, something that he has taught us all in our family is that you have to decide who you're going to be before a circumstance tests that identity. So he would teach our kids, you have to decide you're going to be an honest person so that when the opportunity to be dishonest presents itself, you're already like, no, I'm honest. And, and that principle can be applied in the body of Christ, and there's so many things in the Word of God, especially now that we are living in the days of evil and in the, the last days We really have to be established and rooted and grounded in the word of God. And we have to say, this is who I am going to be. That when these things in the world present themselves to us, we will not bite on them. We will not participate, but they will have nothing in us, right? Jesus, there was no shadow of turning in that man. And so it will be with us. I remember going to the store uh, just a couple of weeks ago, and I had my grandkids with me. Yes, I went to the grocery store with all five of them. Praise the Lord. People see you, and they go, oh, girl, you did not. And I was like, yes, I've got, you know, seven more. So, you know, after going through the grocery store with them, and they touched everything in the store, uh, by the time I got out, I was just thoroughly exhausted, and um, and I'm putting the groceries up in the car, and they're trying to climb in the car. Of course, they're you know hitting the car doors of the poor people in the cars next to us, and um, and I noticed that I I had bought some toilet paper, or I hadn't bought the toilet paper, but it was underneath, and they hadn't scanned it, and I knew they hadn't scanned it. So it was that moment where you're like. <sighs> <laughs> I have to go back in with all five of them. So I tell them, okay, we didn't, they didn't scan our toilet paper. We have to go back. And my granddaughter said, let's just take it. And I said, no, we can't do that. That would be stealing. And she said, but they won't know. And I said, but I would know. And so we decide who we're going to be before the opportunity presents itself to drive off with the toilet paper that you didn't buy. So this principle applies to my message today. You know, the truth is right now in the body of Christ, we're going to have to accept some really hard biblical truths because the way is narrow. It's not broad. And we think to ourselves, but they get to do it. Well, you don't. But the beauty of the narrow place is that it's not, it doesn't lessen us. In the narrow place is where the fullness of joy is, the fullness of peace. Everything, the fullness of love, everything that we need is in, and the more narrow we become and allow ourselves to be in Christ, the more full our life becomes. For 2 Timothy chapter 4 says this. This is my job description. Preach the word. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. 
patiently correct, rebuke, encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. But you should be clear, be, keep a clear mind in every situation. Do not be afraid of the suffering of the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. You know, it's really interesting because my job description is not to coddle you. My job description is to correct you, to rebuke you, and to encourage you. Two out of three of those is really not very good. (laughs) But a lot of us, because of what I'm going to talk about today, we really want a pastor who's a Santa Claus. We just want you to tell us what we want to hear so that we will feel full. But the truth is the thing that sets us free. And the freer we are, the faster we can run. Amen? Amen. So today is kind of a warning day. So I want to warn you about this stumbling block that is coming upon so many of us in this hour. And it's interesting about the shaking. What happens is that the shaking shakes us, and it's good. It's really good that it begins, that things are shaking because it tests what's on the inside of us. I'm going to shake everything that can be shaken so that I will see, he already knows what's on the inside of you, but what happens is that when things begin to shake, you will know what's on the inside of you so that we can repent and change our ways. Do you know that repentance is not, I'm sorry? It's not, I'm sorry, and then go back to doing it again. Repentance is where you change your mind and you change your behavior We're supposed to be bearing fruit that is worthy of repentance. That means you stop doing it. All right, Matthew 24. All right, so the disciples are asking Matthew 24. They're asking uh, Jesus, what are going to be the signs of your return and the end of the age? Tell us what to expect, right? And so there's a whole laundry list of things that we can look at that we should really be studying through because we're in that time. Now that we're in that time, we really need to appropriate some of what we're seeing in the word, okay? So it says here in Matthew 24, verse 10 through 12, and this is where we're really going to camp out today. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many, a.k.a. itching ears. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. All right, so there's three things that he talks about, and all three of these are connected, and they affect one another. Number one, um, there are going to be many opportunities for you to be offended. How many of you are offended? You can just watch the news, and I get offended. And then people are manifesting And so it's real easy to be offended at all of these people that are manifesting. And then people are not yielding to the truth. And it's really offended to be 
to, or, or it's really easy to be offended at those that don't know the truth. It's really easy to be offended who those who are offended at us. I mean, I just heard about this the other day. Their FBI is, went in and arrested some man who went to a school board meeting in Texas. What? We don't get to have a vote and we don't get to be offended, but we do get to intercede, okay? It's hard to, it's hard to intercede for something when you're offended. All right, so again, we can apply John's principle. I'm not gonna be offended at God. So the principle is this. I've already decided what my response is gonna be. I'm not gonna be offended. I'm gonna cultivate an unoffendable heart so that at the end of the age, I will stand before God and I will do what? I will give him my whole heart. What are the first and second commandments? Number one, love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Number two, love others as you love yourself. It is impossible to love God if you are offended. It is impossible to love him with a whole heart. Because the thing about offense, it's really interesting, the thing about offense is that we think being offended at someone is just being right and they're wrong. But actually being offended at someone, it, what it does is it puts a hook in our heart and it begins to create atrophy in our heart. And that offense, once your heart begins to atrophy, it's not the fullness of love any longer. And so you can only give God part of what you have now. John Bevere said this, offense is a tool of the devil to bring people into captivity. The Greek word for offend in Luke 17.1 comes from the word scandalon. This word originally referred to the part of the trap in which the bait is attached. Hence, the word signifies laying a trap in someone's way. In the New Testament, it often describes an entrapment used by the enemy. You see, the thing about offense is offense is an invitation into you losing love. These are the quarrels and the oppositions that fall into a trap. So if I have a difference with somebody, if I have a quarrel with somebody, if I have an opposition with somebody, and I'm sure nobody in this room that's ever happened to you, right? Well, what happens is that you fall into this trap and you are actually in the trap, you, you become prisoner. And it, and, um, in that place, when you become a prisoner, in that offense, you actually begin to do the devil's will instead of God's will. Because the accuser of the brethren loves to show you everything that other people are not. But God will show you everything that they are. I love Rick Joyner. I'll never forget 
it so marked me when he said, you are either in accusation or you are in intercession and it can't be both. So, no matter what the scenario is, we can divide all offended people into two major categories. Number one, those who have been treated unjustly. And number two, those who believe they have been treated unjustly. People in the first category are betrayed by those that they have trusted and they have put, that, that they have been wrongly accused, they have been wrongly treated. And I mean, I cannot tell you, John and I have ministered to a host of hundreds, if not thousands of people whose parents, one or the other, the father or the mother, have abused them severely. Or you've had a loved one who you were supposed to be able to trust who had an affair, a husband or a wife. Or you had a brother in the Lord who betrayed you like a Judas kiss. Someone who was closer than a brother, a friend. These things hurt and they damage us and they wound us and it's real. But the Lord tells us we do not get to take ownership of that and we cannot. We've got to let those things go. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about it next. Now, the people in the second category believe with all of their hearts that they have been wronged. Often their conclusions are drawn from inaccurate information or their information is accurate, but the conclusion is distorted. Either way, they hurt and their understanding is darkened. They judge by presumption and hearsay. I'm telling you, man, these are dangerous waters that we are walking in these days. And how do we, as the body of Christ, remain those that have clean hands and a pure heart so that we can discern the truth rightly? There is a lost and dying world out there, and they are dying for the truth. They want to know those that know the truth, and the one who knows the truth. Our focus, the focus of offended Christians is inward and introspective. It's really interesting because the minute that you become offended, what you do is you begin to self-protect. You begin to build up those walls, especially if it's severe and if it was childhood trauma what you do is you build up walls so that nobody can hurt you. What you do as an adult when somebody betrays you or even if there's presumed offense is you do the same thing. You build up walls that separate you from that person. And you think what you're doing is you're self-protecting, but in fact what you're doing is you're separating yourself from love. Because as you do this, what happens is that you've created a stronghold by your own thoughts, your own ideas, your own judgment of what's happening. You've created a stronghold that has taken yourself captive. So your heart no longer is fully alive in love. And I can tell you, I have experienced this firsthand. 
I'll never forget the time that I was betrayed by a brother in the Lord. I mean, it was so severe and acute. I never, I mean, I was so wounded by it. And in that time, I remember feeling that and feeling all of a sudden a distance between me and other people. Like my heart had been removed from them and it was like, They were way over here, and I was way over here physically. Like, even when they would talk, and we would have, you know, fellowship, they didn't come near my heart. And I mean, that's good. They're not going to hurt me, but it's bad because I will never be able to fully give love or receive love. I've now limited myself in unconditional love. So I've, I, I took myself captive. It took me a whole year to wrestle through that because I made, again, the determination on the front side of this. I will not be offended. So I wrestled my way back to being healthy and getting my heart alive and love again. And a lot of us need to declare war on the, the agreements that we've made of self-protection. And begin to say, God, would you forgive me that I have put these walls up around myself to keep myself safe? And now I have limited love in my life. You know how you know you have limited love? Because you're fast to be angry. You got triggers. Oh boy, those triggers. You know you're still offended if you're still triggering. All right. Unconditional love gives others the right to hurt us. So I had to open myself up again to be vulnerable to pain because without that, I couldn't fully be vulnerable to love. I know, right? Turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. You know, when you are offended, what you're basically saying is that I don't forgive you. I'm going to go ahead and hold on to that offense. And somebody told me one time you've heard this. It's like, the person who has wronged you, it's like you drinking poison and hoping that they will die. And you can feel the deterioration in your soul. Like it's like your soul begins to rot when you have unforgiveness towards other people. And you think, it's okay, I'm just going to go on with it. But it keeps coming up and it keeps coming up, especially if it was a deep wound. So 2 Timothy. So 2 Timothy chapter 3 all the way into chapter 4, he's really talking about the last days and he's talking about how uh, w- what kind of characteristics are going to be prevalent. 
He says this in chapter 3, verse 1, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come for men and women, but men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving. And this is what I really want you to see, unforgiving, that they will be unforgiving. Go to verse 5 having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. Now, chapter 4, verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. Let me tell you something about this. What happens when you hold on to this unforgiveness and you hold on to this offense? That place in your heart that dies, that place in your heart that becomes, that is offended, you will not be able to filter truth through it. It will shadow, it will create a lens that everything goes through and you will not come to righteous conclusions And this is why there's a connection in Matthew 24 when he says, number one, many people will be offended. Number two, many false prophets will arise. Why? Because they're offended. Because their hearts have grown cold. Their hearts have grown cold because they allowed themselves to enter into the offense. Therefore, they can no longer judge the truth rightly because it's going through the lens where their hearts have been taken captive. Now, it doesn't just apply for false prophets or even pastors. I know pastors that struggle with offense. I know people in the pulpit who struggle from offense. And here's the thing about a false prophet. You can tell someone who is a false prophet. Do you know how? It's not by what they prophesy because they'll prophesy accurately. It's not by what they teach. It is by the fruit in their lives. You can look at their love. You can look at their long-suffering. You can look at their kindness and their patience. This, the, the people that walk in the fruit of the Spirit, you can tell who these people are, whether they're a true prophet or a false prophet. And he's saying here that these people that allow themselves to get into this offense and begin to there and allow their hearts to be hooked or be taken captive or taken prisoner, it is difficult for them to discern rightly. Jesus calls these false prophets wolves in sheep's clothing. But let me tell you, beloved, it is not just the people who are teaching, the people who are preaching, but it's also the sheep. And this is where the itching ear comes in because they're saying, I can't, I can't bear the truth because I'm so offended. How do I know this? It is rampant in the charismatic community. They get the least little whisper of offense and they're out the door. 
to someone else's church because they're not going to offend me. Really? Church hopping. You know, in the first offense, when you leave without reconciliation, it's not so bad. And then the second offense gets filtered through the first offense, and it gets bigger. And your disappointment gets bigger. Your brokenheartedness gets bigger. Your expectation for somebody betraying you gets larger. Then you go to the next church. Oh, man, there you go. You walk in the door. You got a whole laundry list that you tell the pastor about, about what was wrong with the church that you came from, how all those pastors betrayed you. Everybody's always betrayed me. I never forget the first time I was sitting at Sojourn Church. And I had, you know, I got all these kids, right? So I had this youth group that met. It wasn't, a, it wasn't an official youth group, but because I had so many kids, I was like, look, if you don't want to be miserable, I'm going to preach the gospel to you. I'm going to, we're going to read, we're going to Bible studies. You invite all your friends. Well, my kids are all like, you know, gatherers and they're all type A personalities. So we had the whole neighborhood at our house. Then they all got filled with the spirit and, you know, we were like all praying in tongues and they're all like laying all over the place. They loved me at the Presbyterian Church in Highland Park. <laughs> so uh, I would bring all these kids and I would take them to concert, uh, no, Christian concerts and, and conferences and, and we would feed them, right, honey? We would feed them. We did the math and I think we spent like $20,000 in food over like three years. So we would feed them. There would be like 15, 20 of them every week and um, like for breakfast after church. Like, seriously. And, um, and so I remember the youth pastor got up there, and these kids that were in my group were blowing up the youth group. They were the want-tos, not the have-tos. You know how you drive your kids, and you're like, you're going to go to the youth group. These are the guys that were like, they were, they were preaching. They would stand up at the, in the lunchrooms, and they would stand on their tables, and they would preach the gospel to their kids in the lunchrooms. I mean, it was just fire. So the youth pastor, he, uh, he, he got up and he said, hey, I want to recognize somebody who's really made a difference in the youth group. And I thought, okay, here it is, public. I'm going to get publicly acknowledged for everything that I've done. And so I'm sitting there and I'm like, this is going to be awesome. And he said, yeah, I would like to, and he, he brought flowers. And I thought, this is amazing. And, uh, and so he said, I would like to acknowledge my, my assistant, who's been with me for four weeks, and she's really made a difference. And so she stands up, he gives her the flowers, and I was like, and I mean, I got on the ugly cry. I lost it. And I went running out of the church. I'm in the parking lot, bawling my eyes out, and I was like, I've never come here again. They don't appreciate me. I'm telling you, it was a pity party. And I got out there, and but I felt it so deeply. Let me tell you what, it was real for me. You hang out with 75 teenagers every week. See, if you don't want some acknowledgement. I, so much pizza. So the Holy Spirit said to me, turn around. Where are you going? I'm like, I am leaving this church. He said, 
turn around, go back inside. <laughs> now I have mascara all over my face. <laughs> so I did. I'm like, okay. And he said to me, you know, it's not about you. I'm like, okay. <laughs> but if I would have left that day, I would have found another church. But I would have had that preset in my heart, that expectation, that offense. I would have taken it with me everywhere I went because it was unresolved. I went back and I served that man with no expectations. Are you all with me? I have seven pages. It's a pretty big subject. You know, if you are offended and in unforgiveness and refuse to repent of this sin, you have come, you have not come to the knowledge of the truth of God. And that's really what we need in this hour. We need the knowledge of God. You know, I, I told someone the other day, I follow someone who always gives me really good information. Like, he's very conservative. He's a Christian. And, um, and it's important these days where you get your information from. Can I get an amen? amen. I mean, we are in an information battle. And that man is the Holy Spirit. And I want to come into the knowledge of all truth that doesn't get filtered through heartache, brokenheartedness. You know, it's really interesting. You look at Joseph, the coat of many colors, right? Y'all know the story of Joseph. I'm not going to go into it, but I mean, that guy kind of got tossed around. He got thrown into a pit by his brothers. Well, that's not cool. I mean, these guys are supposed to be like for him. He had no idea that they were going to kill him, that they had been plotting to kill him, you know? And then gets sold into slavery. Then he gets bought by a pretty cool guy. And he's like, okay, well, this is, you know, it's not great, but at least, you know, I'm not over there digging ditches. I'm just doing math. So then Potiphar's wife comes along and he gets falsely accused and he gets in the pit again. Think about that life. But he didn't get offended, did he? And then he gets promoted, finally, and then finally meets up with his brothers again, and he says this, what the enemy meant for evil, God meant for good. Yeah. See, we think that the resistance and the bad things that keep happening to us, we keep looking at other people going, you are in my way. Let me tell you something. There is not one man that has ever lived or will ever live in your life that's going to keep you from the promises of God. They don't have the power. God changes the hearts and minds of men, and he uses resistance sometimes to build muscles of faith in you. Thank you. Oh, halawa, halawa, halawa. 
1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So how do you cultivate an unoffendable heart? My favorite scripture, my life scripture is is Proverbs 4.23. Well, my brain just went blank. (laughs) Guard your heart with all of your strength for out of it the issues of life flow. You can have that too. You should have that. We should all have that as our life scripture. I am a guardian of my own heart. Not that I would keep it safe from others, but I would keep it soft, malleable, pliable, available. That when I feel something start to make me hard, of have a hard heart, I would begin to say, okay, Lord, what do we need to do here? How do I need to wrestle this through so that my heart becomes soft again? Number two, understand the result of offense, which is unforgiveness. And I want you to know something. If you do not forgive The Bible says that you will not be forgiven. This is a huge issue. I could preach on this for a whole Sunday. The parable of the unforgiving servant, let me tell you, if you do not forgive, you will not be forgiven. This is so critical, and it's such an important issue that it was part of the Lord's prayer, and it's what Jesus did before he went to the cross. He knew he had to clean things up. You think he didn't feel the twinge of of pain and offense, what was happening to him. But before he went home to be with the father, he said, Father, forgive them. He cleaned it up. I have a really good friend, Lori Ditto. She's a hardcore intercessor up at IHOP. And about 10 years ago, she was in a prayer meeting And a portal opened up and pulled her into hell. And she was there. She felt it physically. She felt it emotionally. She was there, even though her body was still in the prayer meeting. They thought she just was out in the spirit. And while she was there, she felt everything. She heard the screams. She smelled the sulfur, the heat the dryness, no water, no light, the growling of the creatures that were there. Yes, there is a place, and it's called hell. And she knew that she was supposed to be there because she knew that she had unforgiveness and because she had held on to offense and did not forgive her brother that she was not forgiven. And when she finally came back to the earth, they had to take her to the hospital because she was screaming uncontrollably. And the doctors at the hospital said, we don't even know what happened to you. You have third degree burns on your organs. How did this happen? She was inconsolable 
and they had to call a psych psychiatrist to try to get her to settle down. They ended up putting her in a mental hospital because they thought she was crazy. And even today, she still has physical difficulties, but she wrote a book on this, and it was called Hell's Conspiracy to Warn the Body of Christ about holding on to offense and holding on to unforgiveness. This is a huge issue for us. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. So there is a biblical remedy for all of this. Number one, we're offended at God. So when our daughter um, broke her neck and became a quadriplegic, our life was excruciatingly hard taking care of her. I was her main caregiver. And uh, it, was, it was horrible. I mean, it wasn't horrible because I loved her, but it was just, you know, it was a life laid down, surrendered all the time, constantly, 24-7, picking her up, putting her down. <clears throat> and um, that was 16 years of so much. She was in so much pain. Level nine pain all the time. Never ended. And she didn't want to take drugs because she wanted to live a life. You know, she was young, beautiful. I see people healed all the time. You know, stage four cancer. You know, I've seen deaf ears open, blind eyes open. I've seen somebody raised from the dead. But my own daughter never got out of that wheelchair and then two years ago, the Lord took her home, and she died suddenly, unexpectedly. So what do you do with that? How do you wrestle that out in your heart? Because it's, it's, it's like going through hell. I mean, you're literally, it's like hell on earth. I mean, everything about you, you're, you're literally just walking through in your mind and in your soul. It's like every, hell's being filtered through your body endlessly. How do you reconcile this? without getting offended at God. Well, we did the only thing we knew to do, hold on to the word. What does God say? Worship me. And so we would just cry worship. There's more cry and cry and cry and cry and worship. And, we, and I kept saying, and I kept hearing the enemy say, God's not good. God's not good. And I would say, God is good. God is good and his mercy endures forever. I praise you, Lord. And I could barely get it out of my mouth. And then it got easier and easier and easier. And it took about four months of daily wrestling. And the whole time I'm thinking to myself, you will not take my heart. I will give him all of my heart. I will not allow you. You can't have a right to any part of my heart. It belongs to God. And then the second wrestle that we have to have, biblical remedy, is what do you do when you have to, you're be betrayed by man. You're betrayed by those that are closest to you or are supposed to love you. You have to fight until your heart becomes alive again. And it's unfortunate because it takes time. 
And you're like, man, but here's the thing. You have to decide now. I am not going to be sidelined by being offended at all, ever. And the minute that it comes to your door, you're like, nope, I'm not wasting my time with that nonsense. If that person has offended you, you declare war on that stinking devil who is accusing that person before you and say, you will not speak. And the other thing that you do is Luke 17. You go to your brother. You go to him. It tells us there is, it tells us what to do. That we go to them and we say, hey, but a lot of us, if we've been abused or we've been silenced by our parents, look, I had a dad. It was rough, man, in my household. I was not allowed to have an emotion and I was not allowed to cry. That was my childhood. I was not allowed to have an opinion. So I was completely shut down. So there was a fear of man in me for my whole life. And I was afraid. I didn't know what healthy confrontation looked like. I didn't know how to go to a brother or a sister and have a difficult conversation that yielded any kind of fruit other than me getting destroyed in the process or shut down. Can I get an amen? Amen. There's a great book, and I want you to write this down if you have your phone. This book, it saved my life, besides this other book I'm going to show you. It's called How to Have That Difficult Conversation by Henry Cloud. I am telling you, this book saved my life. Now, when I have to have a difficult conversation, I run to it. I'm like, oh my God, this is going to be glory. Because it's having a conversation, not to win an argument, but it's having a conversation to come into understanding so that you know the other person better. And I'm telling you, if you will do what's in this book, which is like 10 10 ways of having a healthy conversation or a healthy disagreement, it's a win-win. You win and they win. And you grow in love and you grow in understanding. Doesn't that sound good? It can happen. And then you're not offended and you're not walking around with that record player going off in your head about the conversation that you wish you had. All right. Um, the, other, the other book is this one by John Bevere, The Bait of Satan. This book also saved my life so that you don't get an offense. This is one of the best books that have ever been written. Those two are my, my two favorite books besides for the book. Um, so go to your brother, have a hard conversation. Don't let others bring you into a secondary offense. Okay, so here's the thing. I have had so many people come to me and say, well, so-and-so did this. Can you go talk to them? And I'm like, well, no. The Bible says if a brother has sinned against you, or if you're offended or there's something going on, you have to go talk to them. You have to do it. And I can't do it because it didn't happen to me. You know, I mean, this is like a spiritual, being a spiritual tattletale, right? So, so it, you just have to take care of business on your own and you got to do it sooner rather than later. And, and because if you wait, you're going to spend all your time making a case against them and not advancing the kingdom. 
All right. If you physically cannot go to your brother, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray mercy over them. So the Lord told me um, with this person that betrayed me, he said, uh, he said to me, will you release mercy instead of judgment? And I'm like, well, yes, Lord. So I began to pray mercy over this person. And as I did, the case against them in my mind started to come down. And it freed me and it freed them. And the Lord was able to deal with them because that's really what we want, right? We want them to come to the knowledge of truth and we want them to get a clue of maybe some things in their own character that need to be corrected. Well, if you'll begin to release the mercy over them, I am telling you, this will happen. So I know I've gone long today, but in closing, here's what I want to do. I want it, some of you really need to deal with this. You need to deal with your unforgiveness and your offense. So why don't we stand? Here's what I want you to do. I'm going to pray. Uh, Gary, can you uh, bring your team up? Somebody on the keys, if you would, for me, please. Um, I'm going to pray. And I want you to ask the Holy Spirit who it is that you have unforgiveness towards or who it is that you're offended at. And if he highlights someone to you, I want you to come forward. Because today is the day to let that go. Because just like Jesus said, they didn't know what they were doing. If they did, they wouldn't have crucified the Son of God. And everything that happens to you, God will turn for good.